Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today I have the absolute pleasure to have some FaceTime with the professional explorer, James Ketchell, where he shares his experiences, lessons, and key life advice he's accumulated through his travels around the globe. I tell you what, this was such a special conversation for me, and I'm sure it'll be for you too. James and I met face-to-face in a lovely office space in Basingstoke, really quirky, and it's just something special when you get to speak with someone who is one of a kind and do so face-to-face. I've actually known James for quite a while. We did some work with each other about 10 plus years ago, um, but I hadn't really followed his journey up until most recently. But who is James? James is a professional explorer and he is the only human on the planet to complete the ultimate global triathlon. What is that? Well, he has rode the Atlantic by himself over 110 days, 3,000 miles in a one-man boat. It's just insane. It is absolutely insane. He has climbed Everest on an expedition to the top of the world in 2011 and he has cycled around the world again by himself cycling over 18,000 miles just incredible stuff but on top of that he has also just come back from a world exploration in a gyrocopter covering some 30,000 miles taking 10 months and these gyrocopters they are tiny little helicopters that are completely open to all the elements and he's done that alone I just it's incredible what this guy has done but more importantly James has done all of this without privilege he had a depressed childhood and he was told he would never walk again in his mid-20s it's incredible what someone can achieve when they are just completely committed and fueled by passion and purpose Now, James is not just an explorer. If that wasn't enough, he is an inspirational speaker. He has spoken to tens of thousands of young people and given them hope and passion that they too can pursue happiness through following their own true purpose and their passion. It's incredible the lives he has touched and the impact he's made already. James has conquered the world several times over. It truly is what dreams are made of. But this is not just a story of one man's brilliance, far from it. This episode is mostly about the powerful life lessons that James has learned along the way, which are 100% applicable to everyone who listens. I tell you what, it has definitely had an impact on me. We cover so, so much. You should check out the show notes. That will give you a sense of what we cover. But I tell you what, every second is worth listening to. It's not often you get to speak to someone who has had a life that is just so alluring and exciting and interesting and scary. And the lessons he's learned are lessons I think we can all take away. I love this interview. I hope you do too. So without further ado, let's listen to the British, humble, passionate and incredibly interesting James Ketchell. The 
it's easy to look at, you know, someone like a Bear Grylls or look at these other guys yeah. that have done these amazing things and go, you can only do that because you've got the money and freedom yeah. and maybe the family to support yeah. these what feel like quite selfish pursuits. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So how did, did you deal with that a lot or is that just a, yeah, I mean, look, a thing I that comes around every once in a while? I don't have a family, as in I don't have kids, I don't have a wife. So I have to say because of that, that puts me in a slightly, in a position which would be slightly easier than someone who does have kids and a wife. Yeah. Um, I mean, if someone has kids and a wife, I'd say, you know what, do you want to disappear for six months? Think very carefully about it. But I don't have that. But when it comes to sort of the money side of things, like, this guy has money, how does he do this? No, yeah, it's exactly the same. I get that quite a lot. And then you say, well, actually, I can see why you think that, but that's not the case. This is the case, let me tell you. Um, recently, I flew around the world, but what you don't know is I spent, I started working on this three years ago, and I, and I contacted thousands and thousands of people. I even had a guy offer to buy an aircraft for me, and in fact, I actually purchased an aircraft off the back of him saying he'll fund it, and I, I didn't think anything of it, and the aircraft was built. When it came to paying the bill, the guy just disappeared and said, oh, I can't do it anymore. I said, but you said that you would, and off the and you even knew that I was getting an aircraft yeah. built. And he said, do you know what he said? Oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> I'm telling you. And, and so people, but people don't know that I went through that. Yeah. And that, that was a, a very, uh, a huge defining moment because I thought, well, I, I could just throw the towel in now and say, well, I got stitched up, didn't I? This guy, this guy messed me up, and mm. so I can't do it no more. But do you know what happened? I went, you, you only find out who someone really is and what they're really made of and what they're actually like as a person when you have to tell them something that you know they don't want to hear. So here was the situation I was in only a few years ago. I had to go back to the company that built the aircraft for me that I was going to fly around the world in that was ready. I had to pay for it. And so I'm really sorry. The guy who said he was going to sponsor this and underwrite this aircraft is now not. So for a few days and almost a week, I was putting it off. I didn't want to. And I thought, I can't, I've got to man up and, and do the right thing and tell them that I can't pay for it. And I was really worried and anxious, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? The, the company came back and said, it's okay. We completely understand the situation you're in. We will sell it to someone else. Don't worry about it. Wow. And if, you, if you're honest and open with people, you will never, ever, ever go wrong. And it was funny because I think that was a bit of a test sort of for me because two months later, I ended up getting the funding and I bought that aircraft. And it's funny how things work out. But going mm. back to like, you know, oh, do, you know, do you, are you, it's a very selfish thing to do this. You clearly must have money. I could do that if I had money. And it's like, well, actually, I don't have money. I spent three years, day in, day out, working to, to get it. Mm. And there's three common, we can talk more about it, but there's three common things that really hold people back. Firstly is money. They say, oh, I'd do that if I could have the money. But there is actually, believe it or not, there is plenty of money out there. And there are actually plenty of philanthropists out there that will give you money. But you have to find them and you have to inspire them mm. to back you. Uh, and there are companies out there that will sponsor you. I know that because I've been sponsored for multiple things. So money is out there. And then the second thing is time. People say, I don't have the time. But it's like, well, 
no one has 26 hours, 28 hours in a day. Everyone does. Now, admittedly, priorities and looking after your family and stuff can come into that. And, and it's harder for some people because they have other things to do. But we all have the same amount of time. So it's just like get up and out. You, you see, people, they say, I have no time. This cracks me up, right? They say, I have no time. And then without realising it, you start questioning them a little bit more. You know, a few hours has passed or something. You know, perhaps you just, you've met someone for the first time out on a social event. And you say, oh, what are you up to tomorrow? And they say, oh, not really, mate. I'm just not much. I'm just, you know, I get home, I put my feet up. I'm watching EastEnders for a few hours. I have a couple of beers and, and that's it. And you're like, well, there you go. You have a shitload of time, my son. But you are choosing to watch EastEnders every night. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with there's nothing whatever, wrong with whatever you yeah. choose, whatever you choose yeah. to watch or do yeah, with yeah, your time. Yeah. But don't don't say you don't have the time because there's always discretionary, precise chill time. Which you know what, maybe you can you can drop by fifty percent or seventy exactly. percent and deploy that somewhere else. So exactly. I, I agree. With you, yeah. I even say I say that yeah. to myself. I say it to my wife all the time. Oh, so much work to do, not enough time. But I also know, in you know, hand on heart. I waste yeah. a bunch of time every yeah, day. Yeah, I do. I do every too. I, I tr I'm trying to be better. I waste loads of time and, mm. and I'm trying to get better. So the third thing I, want, I was, wanted to mention is skills. They say, I don't know how to do that. Well, you know, I, I never, I didn't know how to fly, but you learn how to fly. And one thing that I've learned over the years, if you want to get some advice because you want to do something, whether that be row an ocean, climb a mountain, fly an aircraft around the world, whatever the hell it is, go and speak to someone who has done what you want to do um, or is, is, has a high level of experience in the field that you want to pursue. And you'll notice something. The people at the top of their game will be really supportive. They'll come back and they'll say, okay, I th this is how you do that. You're going to do this, this and this, and this is what I would advise you to do but I cannot stress enough, be very careful of the people who have a little bit of experience, but they think they have way more experience than they really do. Mm. And all of a sudden, those people will be experts telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And it's like, do you know what? And this happened to me when I flew around the world, when I first said I was gonna fly around the world. And also when I first said I was gonna row a boat across the Atlantic Ocean. Well-meaning people, you know, it won't be nasty, sharing their opinion on something that they weren't really qualified to do, telling me this, telling me that. And then when I got back, I thought, you're speaking a right load of shit. <laughs> and I can say that because I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. Yeah, you, you and now that. I'm back, I know that you did, you, A, when I approached you initially, you didn't, re you weren't really suitably qualified to be telling me that, but you spoke to me like you were an expert. You've got to be able to identify who to really listen to and never dismiss anyone. But sometimes you might have to filter some things out and think, well, okay, this guy is telling me this, but what have you done, you know? So it's like, you find a fantastic example is flying. They'll talk to you like they're a 20,000 hour pilot. And then it transpires, they've got not even 200 hours. And it's like, mate, I didn't know that. Do, 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 does that make sense? What it's, I'm saying? It's, it's, it's relevant to yeah. any aspect of life, right? Yeah. Anything yeah. that yeah. you can you can go out <clears throat> for expertise or knowledge or guidance on yeah. today. Anything across the internet, there'll be a bunch of gurus and a bunch of million yeah. million plus follower individuals yeah. that will speak with authority and certainty. Yeah. And how do you how do you navigate 
that level of confidence define the truth? Uh, or, like, you know, how much yes. of that do you actually know versus how much of this is a thought experiment or academic? Absolutely. And yeah. that, is, that is difficult, right? It because is. Because some people are very convincing. Yes. And not everyone's got the time to, to really filter through, filter through right. yeah, yeah, and understand totally if agree. it's bullshit or not. Yeah. But yeah, those are the three things, you know money, time, and skills is why people say they can't do stuff. And every single one of those elements can very easily, with a little bit of effort, be overcome. And sort it out. I know that because I've done it. Well, I, I think yeah. that James is a is a great place to to start. Yeah. The, the kind of intro for the audience. So, for those listening, you would have heard my intro ahead of time. But this is James Ketchell, and I know you personally for quite a long time, albeit we haven't spoke to each other for a while. So, quick backstory: James Ketchell is um, an adventurer. He has done some incredible feats uh, and explorations of the world. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 a, he's a modern, modern cook. He's, a, he's rode the Atlantic um, by himself. He's climbed F Everest, which not many people have done, and he's cycled around the world by himself. And then most recently, he's also flown around the world. And we're going to get to speak about all of that in a second. But James Ketchell is interesting for a number of reasons. Uh, and for me, it's it's most interesting because whilst we're sitting here in Desk Lodge in Basingstoke, um, we're re we're reminiscing about the time we went, we worked together, right? So we both worked in IT and we had a stint of you, you know, sorting me out some you know quotes. Yeah, and you stuff, pick up right? the phone, say I need this. I say okay, <laughs> yeah, and it's easy stuff. And right? it's easy to either dismiss someone or just not know enough about them, just not pay interest to what their life is, what their interests are, and you know, we go our separate ways. And, you know, I, I turn on my Facebook a few years later and I see the things you're doing. It's just crazy what, <laughs> you know, random people in your life can achieve. And you've achieved some incredible stuff, including writing a book, which yes. is uh, it's called The Ultimate Triathlon. Ultimate I wanted triathlon. to call it It's All Mental, but I wasn't allowed to. Um, apparently, it's not not the correct one. <laughs> but uh, the next one probably will be called It's All Mental, actually. Because well, everything in life is in your head. It was, it was a great book because one, you know, for people that, just have that little bit of excitement or, or that interest, that curiosity. Like, what would it be like to do these incredible feats, such as get be, you know be on the top of the world or fly around the world by yourself? These things are crazy, and to hear it um, in authentic, honest discussion where you, you just you talk through all the problems you've had and mm. some of the you know nasty situations you've been in, yeah. some of the trials and tribulations. It's really fascinating. But what's most fascinating, and things I'd love to spend time talking about today, is really understanding the mental game. Yes. Because I struggle to understand a couple of things. The why and like the how mentally do you get through this stuff. Yeah. But why don't we give everyone a little bit of context, James? Like, how did this all come about? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll speak why, for a bit. Why, give, why, have you, why have you been doing ended this up stuff? Doing this. What, what kind of drew you towards exploring these things? I never woke up and said, I am going to be a professional adventurer. It all happened almost by accident. I accidentally fell into this. Um, going back to when I was young, I, I really struggled. I left school with no qualifications at 16. For many years, I uh, spent a lot of time lying in bed. Um, I, I didn't really understand how the brain works then, but I think looking back, uh, now I probably I probably had a little bit of depression actually but I didn't know what it was back then okay. I had no real motivation to get up um, and I just I was always the guy at the back of the queue I didn't want to do anything and I, I clearly remember 
I think one of the things, I didn't have a huge amount of confidence when I was a teenager. My face was riddled with bad acne. So kids would call me pizza face. And I used to be very, very skinny. So I'd get called Skeletor and just not nice stuff, but that's standard with, with kids really. Now, one thing that changed for me, I found, I discovered that going to the gym, and that's not Jim's calf, that is the gym. And it gave me a sense of um, accomplishment when I set my mind on lifting a particular weight. And all of a sudden I became quite addicted. So there I was sort of 17, 18. And when most young guys and girls at that age, they start going out, the cool thing to do is you start spending time with the opposite sex, you know, boy, girl, whoever you are, you know, you start drinking, even kids there, you know, start, this was years ago, but you know, it was, it was cool to smoke back 20 years ago and they do all that kind of stuff. Whereas I, every night, was spending my time going to the gym. It's a little bit of a loner, but then I started to meet people there in the gym. And over a period of about a year, I physically changed my appearance quite drastically. The spots eventually cleared up. I had these huge round glasses, but then I started to wear contact lens. So I didn't have these huge round glasses anymore. And then I would start going into town at like 19, 20, and people wouldn't recognize me. I looked like a fitness model when I was, was back then. But that started to give me a little bit of confidence in mm -hmm. myself. I came out of my shell a little bit. I actually realized I'm quite a, I'm a people person. I'm quite good with people. I like people. I like meeting new people. I, I, I pride myself on thinking that I get on quite well with most people. Um, I then, long story short, managed to sort of talk myself into some various sales roles. And as I got a little bit older, then moved into IT. And that's how then you and I met. Yep. Now, one of the things that I did in my spare time was I raced motorbikes. I loved bikes, but when I was young, I never really had the money to, to do it. Um, but where I was earning a little bit better money now, I was paying for it myself. Cut a massively long story short, I had quite a big accident. I broke my legs and, and um, I couldn't walk for, for quite a long time. And there I was, I went from this really active guy. I was kind of, I, know, I can't remember how old I was, like 24, 25. I was ironically quite different to the, the, to the young man I used to be. I was a confident, fit, strong man racing bikes at the weekend. And there I was lying in that hospital bed and the doctor just looking at me saying, I, I don't think you're gonna walk again, buddy. You need to understand that. And it's interesting because as soon as you have something taken away from you that you don't think anything of, very quickly you'll want it back and you'll realize how that you know people don't think about it but that you know most people get out of bed every morning they walk down the stairs they have their breakfast they get into the shower but they're doing something that they don't think about and that is walking around on their own two feet and legs when you can't do that you suddenly realize how lucky you are just to be able-bodied and i don't know what it was i just i felt like i needed something to aim for when I was lying in that hospital bed and, and also when I was young and didn't have a huge amount of confidence, I had a crazy sort of wild dream to try and row a boat across the Atlantic Ocean, but I never really had the guts to do it. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't really believe in myself. And I thought, well, if I don't do it, I can't fail. So was, it, was, it a, was it a legit dream or it was just something yeah, that it, popped into your head a couple no, of times? No, it had been there for a while. I okay. knew of people who had rowed across the Atlantic years ago. Okay. Um, and there were a couple of, two sort of fairly famous celebrities that did it, Ben Fogel and James Cracknell, and I followed them virtually across when they did it. I was looking at their tracker, basically daydreaming, oh, I wish I could do that, I wish I could do that. Okay. But I never had the guts. Um, 
And I was lying in that bed and he said, mate, you're not going to walk again. And I just thought, it was almost like a light switch. I thought, right, this is the moment I've been waiting for. So I spent six months doing all my physio to, to basically walk again. Long story short, I have bolts in my right ankle and it plays up a lot. It hurts, but I still have legs, so it's all good. And I made a good enough recovery. I got fit again and straight away i had a job at the time that's um i had the accident i think when i was working for the company you that, did, yeah. that you and i worked work together recalling. yeah so i spent a bit of time out of action but i got back to work but i was different i was highly motivated to row across the atlantic i didn't know where i was going to start or what i was going to do i just knew what i wanted to do so i went out and i found two people that had already already rowed across before you, before, before you say that why like at that age, not having really been, you know, hanging around people mm. that have, it's not like as if it was no, your life. No, previously. no, no, I hadn't. I, I couldn't where, even row. Where did this come from? Why? Why the? Uh, why the need? That sense of adventure. I right. all of a sudden thought, I need to do something to get over this accident. I got myself better, and I. One thing that happened to me, and I noticed it very early on, when I was working on, on the project, trying to row across the Atlantic, trying to hustle for sponsorship and things, and I felt like I had a sense of, um, uh, uh, I felt like I was doing something worthy. I felt like there was a reason why I was doing it. And all of a sudden, I noticed I was becoming very happy because I was doing something that meant quite a lot for me, mm. to me. There was some purpose. But that's that's it, exactly. Sorry, there was a real purpose to what I was doing. And I thought, I don't even know if I can do this, but I'm sure as hell going to try. And where I worked in a sales background, that actually stood me in quite good stead. I knew how to put a proposal together. I wasn't shy about getting on. I mean, I for a day job, I had to get on the phone and sell stuff I did not believe in and quite frankly couldn't give a monkey's about. Yeah. Um, but this was different. I wanted to get on the phone and call people and say, hey, I'm doing this. Would you sponsor me? I'm raising money for a great charity. And I would tell them about what I'm trying to do. And it was really exciting. Like, I wanted to pick up the phone and cold call someone. You don't want to do that when you're selling something you don't believe in. Trust me, you know that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I had this feeling of purpose and it, it was exciting. And I became quite obsessed with it. Every day on my lunch break, I, I, I used to just go and sit in a local car park and eat some food and just waste my time. But on my lunch breaks, I was eating my food in double quick time and I was making cold calls on my mobile phone at lunchtime in my break in the spare room, the quiet room next to the sales floor. And then in the evening, I would go to the gym and then I'd get home and I'd stay up till like two o'clock in the morning sending all these sponsorship emails out. Like I was quite naughty really. I would be stealing databases from wherever I could. And I just, I would send my proposal far and wide to anyone. I mean, I'd spammed thousands of people, literally. I could, you actually can't do this anymore because yeah. of this um, GDR, GDPI GDPR, nonsense. It. But it wasn't enforced when we were in IT <laughs> a long time ago. Um, so maybe you have to be careful doing that now. But all of a sudden, I got a lucky break. A guy, uh, an old bloke, uh, he was the owner of a company called Pentland Group that, that owned Speedo. His name's Stephen Rubin. Crazy wealthy guy. He rung me up. And, and he said, is this James Ketchell? I remember saying, yeah, 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 it's me. He said, oh, uh, you're, he's very old, he's late 70s, 80s. Oh, your proposal is on my desk. I'd like to sponsor you. And my, ear, and my eyes lit up and my ears just picked up. And I said, yes, sir, yes, yes. 
He said, but on one condition, I call the boat Speedo. I said, yeah, you can call it whatever you want. And that was my first nice. ever spot. And the feeling that I got from that was euphoric. It was, oh, it was amazing. And it was funny because after that, I then pulled a bit more sponsorship in. And I ideally wanted to row across the Atlantic with someone, but no one would do it with me. So then I had this awkward sort of choice of, well, if I want to do this, I'm going to have to do this on my own. So I, 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 I got the money and um, I, I, I found two other people that rode across on their own. They gave me good advice. But again, what happened, what I was talking about earlier, well-meaning people who'd never rode the Atlantic in their life started to come forward and say, have you really thought about this? You know, it's very dangerous. You know, it's very, it lies a high chance. You know, there's a 78% chance you're going to die, which is total nonsense. Um, but it's it's well-meaning people sharing opinions on something that they're not really qualified to. And they're, they're not actually trying to put you off or deny you of the opportunity. They just, that's just, human beings have got a terrible habit of just sharing their opinion when even they don't really know anything about it. But that's okay. Uh, luckily, I was able to sort of block that out. I made it happen. Um, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about what it was like out there. I mean, I ran out of food 230 miles from Antigua. Um, it's not that difficult to row across the Atlantic. 99.99% no. is all in the mind. Every one of these listeners um, could get in a boat and row across the Atlantic tomorrow. If you're not a very good rower, you've got 3,000 miles to learn. You're going to get good. <laughs> you're going to get good, trust me. And uh, you, you, you're not shitting yourself. I mean, yes, because just the I idea of it. I mean, there's there's the work, yeah. and there's just some logistics, right? But then there's the isolation, yes. the darkness. The yeah, you can't just stop and go back home. Correct, right? Once there's, you're committed, there's just a lot you're going out there, on right? that. I, I'm, I can just get myself in a panic just thinking yeah. about the, trying to do this by myself in the big black dark ocean. At and night. it's very dark out there when the moon isn't out and it's cloudy. Yeah. So, so what? What encouraged you to I'll go ahead you, and do this, I'll, even though you knew you were going to be shitting yourself? Yeah, I'll tell you kind of a little bit about what happened. So I got I shipped the boat out to Lagomera, which is, is the start in the Canary Islands, and I was rowing to Antigua in the Caribbean. It's 3,000 miles. It's a classic downwind route, same as Christopher Columbus used back in the late sort of 14th century. And I remember standing on that dock looking out when I arrived there it was a particularly windy day it was very rough and I thought Jesus Christ this is not such a good idea now is it and it just so happened there was a very experienced old sea dog of a chap who'd sailed around the world multiple times and I got chatting to him in a bar that evening and he said I'm going to tell you something son if you can survive three days you can survive three months out here it's all in the head. And he was right. When I set off, all I wanted to do was just get past three days. Because what happens very quickly, your brain will start talking you out of things. And so you'll start, you'll start to come up with legitimate excuses as to why it's not a very good idea. Oh, I need more time. So maybe I should, I tell you what, I don't feel ready, but it's okay. I'll do it next year. And your brain, is your greatest ally, but for the most part, and for most people, it will become your worst enemy. And I clearly remember this. I had a problem with my solar panels on the boat, which basically ran my water maker and, and things. And I was 24 hours in, and I was going to go back. 
And I remember talking to my dad on the satellite phone, explaining what was happening, the saying, this could be an intermittent problem. I don't really know. And I'll never forget this. He just said, James, you've got to man up. You've got to, you've got to go. You've got to go. If you come back, you'll regret this for the rest of your life. Boy, he was right. And do you know what? I carried on. And three days later, because all I wanted to do was get through three days because the, you, you, the reality hits you like a, like a train. Um, the environment that you're in, you know, at night it does, it can get very dark, it can get quite rough, you can get elements of seasickness and that's mm. really debilitating. And then you start looking at the, the GPS and your ground speed, your speed is very, very low. So in your mind you're thinking, oh my goodness, I expected to be a lot quicker than this. And at this rate, it's going to take me a year to get across. How can this possibly? Oh, I'll have to go back and I'll have to start again when, I, when I'm more prepared. And actually there is, I know this is a very cheesy saying, but you, there is never a right time. Mm. You can prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare. Just go. Um, and you know what? I carried on and I somehow, 110 days later, after running out of food, I was hit in the face by flying fish. I was bitten on the nipple by a fish. It's a funny story to that. And I made it to Antigua, and I couldn't believe it. And I, I guess there's probably no point in me telling you all the funny stories that happened out there, but it was amazing. But when I got to Antigua, I, I, I completed it. But it was funny because during my preparation for the row, I'd met someone else who was also rowing across the Atlantic, and he, he, he was doing it in a different boat, but he was a very accomplished high altitude climber. The guy had been to Everest like five times. We just became really good friends. And he was like, look, after the row, come out to Everest with me. So there I was, I'd really, I'd put myself out there big time to row mm. across the Atlantic, I, but I didn't, I had no desire to do anything else. This is all I ever wanted to do. Um, and all of a sudden I was given this opportunity to climb Everest the following year. And it's like, my goodness, what, what, what a hell of a door of opportunity to open. And, and I say to kids, if you do the same thing, expecting something different to happen, well, trust me, it's not gonna go very well, but there has to be an action to get a reaction. And I put myself out there and rode across the Atlantic. And off the back of that, a whole load of doors just opened up for me. It was crazy. And I didn't, and I remember I had the job at the time and then I came back to work and it just wasn't really the same. And then I thought, I remember my friend Rob, he rang me up and said, look, are you going to do Everest with me or what? I need to know because things need to be put in place. And I, then and there, I was back in the office and I said, I'll do it. And he was like, great, you've got six months to find 30,000 pounds. I thought, shit, <laughs> how am I going to do that? Because I'd sold everything I owned to yeah. the Atlantic and raise the money. I didn't have a penny to my name. So I actually had to take a massive, massive risk. I um, I left my job uh, to pursue full-time fundraising for this. I sold everything that I owned. I moved back in with my parents to reduce my bills. And then again, for half a year, I just I was full-time on the phones and sending emails out. Um, I remember actually it was it was quite demoralizing for months. I couldn't get anywhere. Um, I remember I I, I People wanted to talk to me, but they didn't want to talk to me about sponsoring Everest. They just wanted to ask me questions of what it was like to row across the Atlantic. But I was always answer their questions. 
because I thought it might lead on to ultimately what I wanted. But then when it got on to talking about, you know, why I was actually calling them, they're like, yeah, yeah, we can't sponsor you, mate, and, you know. Um, and then one day I had, again, I had a little bit of a lucky break, but I was talking to a guy, um, I think it's in the book actually, isn't it? So you probably know this. I was talking to a guy at Ben Sherman and, and he, he gave me a spread, like a database of all these different people. And I got in, I somehow got in contact with Nando's. Just like, didn't think that they would ever sponsor me. And sure enough, blow me down, Nando sponsored this <laughs> client. Brilliant. It's crazy how it happened. But then I got out there and it wasn't actually that difficult because you're with other people. Whereas sort of going back to the mindset, when you're out in the Atlantic, you're on your own. And so the trick is, and there is no way to do this unless you do this. You have to break it down and you can only take it one day at a time. And I learned to, this is what I call staying on an even keel. Because out in the Atlantic, what determined your happiness and how you felt was your progress towards your goal of getting to the other yeah. side. When you had a great day and the wind, you had a lovely tailwind, the sun was shining, you didn't even need to row, you're getting blown along. It's the best place you could ever be. It really is. But trust me, when that wind turns and you are going backwards, and that happened to me a lot, it usually takes about 70 or 80 days to get across the Atlantic, but it took me 110. I kept getting blown back and then, oh, it was, it was difficult. That's then, it becomes a very demoralizing place. I can imagine, man. But you've got to want it. And I remember when I left, I said to my parents and I said to, to all the people that, that helped me with funding, I, I became a bit obsessed in, in my mind and I said, I will get to the other side. If the boat sinks, I will get in the life raft and try and drift there. And never ever once in 110 days did I not think I was going to do it. And I think the problem that you have is if you want something 99%, when you're out in, the, in a situation like that and when you're massively out of your comfort zone, that 1% will get the better of you. You see, when you're in your comfort zone, everything is very easy. You're down the pub with your mates, kind of like gloating a little bit that you're about to row across the Atlantic, you're about to do this, it's gonna be hard, but it's no problem. Don't forget, you're, there, you're still in your comfort zone. You're around people that you know, you're in an environment that you know. Second, you are outside of that, in an environment that you don't know, you don't know anyone, you're massively outside of your comfort zone, you don't really know what you're doing, you're trying to figure it out as, you're, as you go. And, and, and when you get caught in bad weather and, and big seas, trust me, you will find out, and yet really at that point, mm. what, what you're, you're kind of made of. But I knew I could, there, was, there is no giving up. What do you do? Say, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. I, get out and walk home. That's not going to happen. I mean, you could so get helicoptered committed. or you could get picked up by you a boat if you wanted. Not, no, of course you can't. You couldn't. Not, no, you're on your own. No, right, you're literally, there was, there was no you, you could. You, no, not really. Not I mean, you could have, you could have uh, activated your emergency positioning indicated radio beacon and said, oh, I have a medical problem. Then you could potentially get it back you know, rescued. And I have actually been rescued in the Indian Ocean. We can talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, you're, you're committed. There's no getting out and just It's not an easy home. rescue, right? It's not an easy Mentally, rescue. psychologically, yeah. and logistically. It's Absolutely. Not easy. And you've worked... What, what, what you're saying is, is resonates with something that actually Mike McCastle, that I interviewed mm. last week, said. He said... People, can, people say they're committed to loads of stuff, but it's... 
when you test their commitment, you see if they're really committed. And most I people, most agree people with that pull more. away. So, you see, yeah. you've got to put yourself through stuff that is really hard, and then I'll see whether you're committed. And it sounds like what you're saying is you were committed. And committed isn't, I'm going to give it my best shot. No, committed no. is, I'm committed. doing it. You're going to I'm do it or it. you're going to die. You I'm know? doing it or I'm doing it. Uh, yeah, like, that's yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that because you can you can say, you know, you put that to any entrepreneurial effort you're going mm. after or a new kind of career you're trying to carve or a new relationship you're trying to develop. It yeah. all comes down to the same thing. Are you... Are you do you want How it and are you, you committed to it, it? Yeah. or is it just a want and it's a hope? Yeah. And, and you, I, it sounds like you weren't hoping. And I wasn't hoping, was I knew. I, I was, there was no stopping me. I was so committed that I was obsessed with something. And, you know, you have to be a bit careful because some people would say, oh, you're a little bit obsessed with this. But I'd say, well, listen, don't confuse being obsessed with actually wanting something. And... Madness. <laughs> when you really, really, really want something and you're prepared to do one thing and that one thing is just to keep going, even if you're not that good at that one thing, you will get there in the end. And actually, by default, the only difference between people who, who the average person looks at and thinks, wow, that person is doing really well in life, they're doing this, that person may not be any smarter than anyone else. They just don't stop and they just don't give up. And you also find out what you're made of when things don't go your way. Um, back in 2015, I was rescued in the Indian Ocean. I was rowing from Western Australia to Mauritius. That's 4,000 miles. It's a different beast to the Atlantic. You're out there for a lot longer. You don't really benefit from the prevailing winds as much. And, and the boat rolled over and the guy that I was with, he hit his head and, and we needed to be rescued. And, and, and when I got back, I, I thought, oh my goodness, I've lost all my credibility. And there was this huge sort of gray cloud over me. And don't forget at this point, I'd already rode the Atlantic, I'd climbed Everest, I'd cycled around the world, I'd written a book. I was the only guy on the planet that had done these. I mean, it's only three things to be honest. I mean, but I had fairly good credibility. But it was funny because when I got back, a lot of really good stuff happened off the back of it. People were booking me to speak. They wanted to know what it was like to be rescued. Um, and yeah, it was it was funny. And, and But you can only see things looking back. And one of the things that I say to young people is, if you have failing and having stuff go wrong, is no problem at all. As long as you've, there will always be something good that comes off the back of you not getting your way or, or or something not working out, that you'll always learn something and, and, and there will be something no good. such thing as You failure. just don't, exactly, yeah. it's just a setback. You just don't see it at the time. And I learned many things off that and actually a whole load of good things came off the back of that as well. You know, I was being booked to speak at more events because people wanted to know what it was like to be rescued as opposed to all the stuff that had seemingly gone well. Isn't, and, isn't the trick about seeing that <clears throat> quicker then? Right, so if you acknowledge that life is really just a number of experiments, mm. some things work, some things don't, but mm. either way you learn. Yeah. You you learn not to do that again. Yeah. You learn to do more of this thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Isn't the trick trying to get to that realisation quicker? So in the moment, mm. if you can see it in the moment, mm. fantastic. Not mm. everyone can, no. but quickly after the moment, yeah. get to the point of realisation that that was actually a productive thing. That was worth it. I've yeah. learned something from that. I'm stronger because yeah. of that experience. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. talk to me about loneliness a little bit because, you know, in uh, this conversation, that's a good question. Yeah. you know, I, I clearly I'm get you're sociable. That, I've yeah. read your book and it sounds like 
with the fundraising and all the engagements on the PR stuff, and then a constant engagements in all your events, and I think the gyrocopter stuff, you're constantly having to talk to people when you land mm. and, you know, encourage people to help you and support mm. you. And it sounds like people want to be gracious and support you. So you must have yeah, a good I've been vibe. very lucky, yeah. So you're clearly sociable. Mm. Yet you do something which is incredibly antisocial. <laughs> and to be honest, I think, you know, my mind, let alone, you know, I think everyone else is, is a tyrant. It's there to trip you up and it does cause you so many problems. Yeah, you know, just yeah. negative thought spirals, yeah. rumination on things you yeah. don't want to think about. That happens to badly. everyone though. Yeah. How do you go, you know, several months by yourself with problems and isolation and no one to talk to and nothing to distract yourself with? It's not like as if you can just have a chill day and just like do stuff that we would otherwise do because you're on a bloody boat for God's sake by yourself. Mm. So how do actually, you... Actually, that, that row was harder as well for me because I remember I was seeing a girl actually before I, before I left and then literally right before I left she ran off with... I don't really matter. Actually, they're, they're happily married now <laughs> and it's all great but she ran off with one of my best mates and that's not the thing that you want when no. you're about to get in the boat on your own and spend months at sea because trust me, your mind will play tricks on you. So I had that on the back of my mind uh, when I was about to um, about to row, but they went on and lived happily ever after. So that's actually really ended up being a really nice story. But at the time, I was a little bit stressed about that. But um, this loneliness thing, right? The loneliness, yeah. So you're obviously comfortable with your own. Yeah. So the company. loneliness here is how to deal with that. You must be able to control your mind. And what I mean by that is you must be able to constantly be thinking positive things and you have to have something to aim for. And so when I was on my own in the boat, I had a little black book and all the time I was writing things down of things that I wanted to do when I got home. So it meant that I was rowing towards something. Mm -hmm. Every single hour, over every single day, I was getting closer to coming back and, and doing the thing that I'd, I'd, I'd written down. And it's also a case of using your mind in a constructive way. Sometimes the worst thing you can ever do is sit there and just ponder and think. Because without, and it's no fault of, of anyone's own, everyone, this happens to everyone. Your mind will wander off on a crazy roller coaster ride. You'll start talking to yourself about potential positions that you think you might find yourself in and you start having a conversation with yourself sort of saying well if I'm in this situation that guy says something to me I can say this or and it's crazy it just you, your mind just spirals off so one of the things that I did that really helped me was to keep my mind active in a positive way so I would try to so I tried to learn Spanish when I rode the Atlantic I failed miserably but I was listening to the audiobooks and I was keeping my mind busy the trick to dealing with loneliness is keeping your mind busy mm. but with positive things that, that you know I didn't realize you were listening to stuff that makes sense because yeah. at least you've got something else influencing yeah. your thoughts yeah. versus just you and your thoughts yes. by yourself completely that's different but I guess you had long bouts of but I did yeah not it, it, listening to anything, just with your thoughts, just rowing. Yeah, uh, and the trick is, you, you, and it's hard, you have to be positive. The second a tiny bit of doubt creeps into your mind, it'll eat away at you, and, and, that, and that doubt will start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, a, a few days later or a few hours later, you've completely talked yourself out of doing something when there, when there is no problem. 
but it's all in your own mind. And the actual answer is it's very difficult to get around that. But the best thing is just to, to stay busy and stay positive. That, that and that's really and you know I, I listen keep listen to audio books things that you might learn something uh, and and I found writing uh, goals down really helped me because it was like I was rowing towards something now I had a satellite phone so every Saturday I could call my parents or people that I was close to I didn't call them that I didn't call them outside of that um, and that kind of helped to hear their voice they'd say well done or and then you know they might start you you naturally start saying what's going on back at home what's yeah. this person doing what's that person doing and someone may say something that that they thought nothing of on the sat phone but then when you got off the phone you're sitting there rowing for hours you, you might think well what did they mean by that hang about what do you mean that person's doing this or do you, you, you yeah. start really, when I mean you overanalyze things, I mean you really overanalyze things. Just in the, you might be having a conversation with someone, but you might start to overanalyze the tone of their voice. Or you, or you might think, well, I asked that person a question and they didn't really answer it. <gasps> what does that mean? Maybe they don't want to be my friend anymore. Maybe they're trying, they're giving me the cold shoulder. And that person wasn't doing that at all. They, they, they but we do that wasn't. at the best of times, right? And, and so like that, when you're on a yeah, boat for months. So, so that, that really uh, was, a, was a big factor for me out there. You know there. what? It reminds me of castaway or solitary confinement. Yeah. You know, either, like, you know, the yeah. idea of whether you like it or not, you have to be with yourself. Yeah. If you like it or not, you have to deal with it. And, yeah. you know, people say that solitary confinement is like you know, the worst punishment ever. For some human. people, it is. But and whilst this isn't solitary confinement, yeah. you know, you're not you're not contained in a little box and you mm. know treated horribly. But you are alone, yeah. and you haven't got the dialogue with someone yeah. else. You can't, you know, when you when I have something in my mind, I can you ruminate and ruminate and ruminate. But mm. when I talk about it, yeah. I, it can release, it changes, it morphs, yeah. it decompresses. Yeah. You don't necessarily have the chance to decompress and get stuff off your chest, or do you? How do you how do you release that negativity when you're in it? when there's no one else to speak to? You focus on your goal that day, and your goal that day is to row for 12 hours. And then at the end of that day, you'll feel great. Um, so you're not thinking about, oh shit, the stuff when I'm getting home, my finances, and no, you, I'm going to be able to do this. You've got to cut it off. You're not thinking off. about that. Well, you do naturally, but you have to, because discipline in your own mind, mm. and, and being able to cut that off will, will really help. And it, it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. How much do you want something? If you want to be there so, as, you know, so badly, you'll find the negative stuff, you'll be able to, to get it out of your mind quite easily. But if you didn't really want to be there, you were just doing it. You wanted to row the Atlantic just to impress someone. Guarantee you, you wouldn't even last three days. Mm. Guarantee it. You've got to want it for yourself. Um, yeah, and, and just day by day. day. I had days out there where I really struggled and I didn't really want to be there. But then I would think about the reason why I was doing it. And I would think of all the people, all the thousands of telephone calls I made to try and get funding and everyone turned me away. And all those people that said to me, you won't be able to do that, are you nuts? They actually made me a damn sight stronger. Those people yeah. did me a huge favour. Huge. Um, 
And every day that I stayed out there, it, I was getting stronger. I, I, I was adapting to the environment. I, w I could row for 12 hours a day like it was nothing, but you're rowing very gently. Um, and, and, and here's a really good example. I mean, like you adapt to the environment. Your skin sort of, it's not good, but your skin sort of goes like leather. You, you get that nice brown look. You no longer need to wear sun cream, although that's not advisable. And you just start to get used to it. No longer do you feel the boat <clears throat> rolling around at all. It's like you're on land. You, yeah. you, well, you don't even notice it. And you have become at one with your environment. And then you start, <clears throat> you become highly motivated. And this is what happens. The first half of the journey is particularly difficult mentally. But something very interesting happens because once you get to the halfway point, you're then by default closer to where you want to be than where you, you started. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you have a huge amount of adrenaline because you start thinking, oh, I'm going to do this. Because when you first initially set off to row 3,000 miles, your mind is like you can't grasp that's how far that is. And you can't really believe that you can almost do it to begin with. You're just you know okay pull the oars and and it is what it is but but when you get to that halfway point you think hang about i'm actually really gonna do this then your mindset changes and then the um, the frequency of which you have negative thoughts come into your mind is is much fewer it's not so much in the first half you will have a lot of demons that you have to deal with but once you get through that and get to the last half I, I, I had hardly any demons. I, I, I just want all I wanted. To, I became highly motivated to row, eat, sleep because I was getting closer to my goal. And I thought, well, if I get rescued, I'm probably going to be taken to where I want to go anyway. <laughs> so I really am now past the, the point of going yeah, back. Yeah. Okay. And then the, then the currents started to improve, started pulling me into the Caribbean, the winds improved. And for the last half, I made much quicker progress than I did for the first half. And here I'll tell you something really strange. I didn't want to finish. I wanted to carry on rowing. It was strange. I was just going to say that, Ketch. Like, I there's... didn't want to finish. I was sad to finish. Because if you think about entrepreneurial yeah. pursuits, business pursuits, anything that's about kind of self-improvement, mm. There really isn't ever a destination. No, no, no it's, all, it's only a, a journey, and it's You're a process. So right. right? Mm. So, like, if I was to set a physique goal or a or a business goal, it's only a milestone. Even mm. though I might think it's the end game, it's yeah. only a milestone because I know after I have to carry on, right? Because <clears throat> life doesn't just stop because mm. you've achieved a arbitrary goal. Mm. But when you do things like what you're doing, there is a there is a goal. There is an end in mind. There is a destination. Yeah. And that must be quite nice because. You know, my business stuff, for example, there is never an end. Uh, yeah, you know, I can, as I say, I can set milestones, but I know that that's just yeah. a point in time. But beyond that, I've got to carry on the following yeah. day. But once you get to your destination, you are actually done mm. until you decide you're not done anymore. Yeah. So that must be quite encouraging that the things you choose do have an end, end date. Yeah, but then when you come, I'll tell you something really interesting. We sort of touched on it earlier when we were chatting. You, in your mind, you think, oh man, once I've rode the Atlantic, I'm going to be the happiest guy on the planet. Mm -hmm. Everything is going to come good for me. And, 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 and my life is somehow going to be better. I'm going to feel much more accomplished. I'm going to feel, uh, I'm going to have more of a sense of satisfaction. And, but that doesn't happen. I'll tell you what happens. You're on cloud nine for 24, 48 hours. You feel incredible like like it's the most amazing drug you just feel amazing 
But then what happens, you come back and then after a few weeks, the novelty of what you've just achieved completely goes. Mm. Your friends are no longer asking you about it. It's old news and your friends make fun of you. Like, oh, you're talking here about it, again. here he goes again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and your mom and dad, your family, they don't ask you anything about it. The interview, people asking to interview, et cetera, has, has gone. There's no interest in, in, in this huge achievement that's been your life mm. for the past couple of years. Um, and very quickly, you can spiral back into old habits really quickly and actually become quite down and fed up. And really what you were saying about there is no end goal is, is absolutely correct. Once you've rode across the Atlantic, for me, it was then setting the next goal of climbing Everest. That, again, it gave me that sense of purpose, that sense of, of, of achievement, that sense of doing something. And you know, I'm quite old now, I'm well into what, 36 now or 37, I'm actually 37. But I've now figured out what makes me happy and that is constantly having a goal to work pursuing towards. Something. Constantly pursuing something. Mm. If I was to stop, if I'll tell you one of the worst things that could happen to most people and they would say, well, I don't understand that. If you gave most people 10 million quid and said, there you go, most people, spend a load of money in a couple of months and then they'll guarantee you mentally they'd be in a worse place than where they were to begin with because oh, they bought all the stuff they want now they have no sense of direction no there's nothing just you've got to grow totally lost you've got to add value got to, absolutely and how are you yeah. how are you adding value so let's let's talk about yeah. adding value actually yeah. so <clears throat> you you two um let me set the scene in terms of what's going through my mind what you're doing you know kind of makes me think about, you know, explorers of old, right? People yeah. that have found new worlds, new countries, you know, have navigated the oceans and done things for the first time in search for resources mm. or new cities, new towns, new, new, new countries. You were clearly not doing it for those reasons. You're not in search of resources yeah. for humanity or new, new countries for, for yeah, us that's to monopolize. Been that's yeah. been done, right? <laughs> yeah. So you're not doing it for those reasons but you are exploring it in the truest sense. And as I think about what you do, it I, I think it must pull at everyone's heartstrings, even if they're not interested in what you do, because the idea of being on the top of the world, circumnavigating the world on your own, it's just, it sounds so amazing. And I can imagine the experiences, insights, enlightenment, but there's the question of what are you searching what, what for? What are you searching for? What, what are you, you trying to achieve? Yeah. yeah. What, what you know? Is it for ego? Is it for significance? So you're etched into the history books. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not being condescending or trying to judge your character. But I Why guess do part, I do this, part yeah. of it is a significance thing. Like mm. you know, I want to be known for doing something yeah. good. But beyond you, where, where, where do you derive the value? Where's the value proposition for everyone else? And I know you do some charitable things but yeah. in your mind why are you doing this at the deepest level so uh, it's actually really simple i do this because it makes me happy if you That's took away the these projects i would become really quite unhappy and i have been around people i know through my quest for funding i know people and have met people who have what you may think is everything, everything you then find out that actually they don't because they're kind of restless. They're not really that happy. And I've said this to young people so many times, do not think material possessions it makes you happy or is a measure of success. 
the success is really being happy in your own skin, doing your own thing. Knowing your own, knowing your 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 time here is worth it. Yeah. Right. However you define worth it and value. Absolutely, and it doesn't matter whether you you're just doing a very bog standard job or you're 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 doing this or whatever you're doing. I'm I have accidentally found out what makes me tick, what what I like doing, and. For some reason, young people listen to me. It may be that in 10 or 20 years' time when I'm bald and completely grey, I can't connect with young people anymore. I don't know. But right now, I have a really good connection with young people, especially when I I tell them about my background in terms of I really struggled when I was at, at, at school. And now I stand here in front of you talking to, to a group of 15, 16, 17-year-olds and I'm the only guy on the planet that's done this, this, this. And they may look at me and think, oh my goodness, this guy's amazing. But I'm like, you really need to know that we are no different because 20 years ago when I was in the last year of school, trust me, guys, I never thought I'd be here, but I am. Mm. And I didn't do anything special. This is what I did. I found stuff I like. And I say, listen, the world would be a crazy place if everyone wanted to go off and do what I do. And people don't want to do what I do. Some people do, some people don't. But ultimately, it doesn't matter what it is that you want to do. And, and I say to kids that everyone on this planet is really good at something. And I happen to find out I've got this knack for somehow surviving, telling stories. I speak. Speaking is my job. I get paid to speak at events. Luckily, I haven't been booed off stage yet, so I just keep doing it. You know, and if I did, I'd just go back to another one anyway and carry on. So I've found something that gives me a sense of... Um, you know, a sense of achievement, a sense I'm quite content with what I'm doing and I'm, and I'm quite happy. That's why I do it. And I'd like to think that the value I bring to this is that I, I can see myself, I like to mentor and try to inspire younger people who perhaps struggle a little bit. Mm. That is what I am good at. There are many, many things that I am absolutely rubbish at. Now, I wouldn't say only do the things that you're good at. That's not actually very good advice. I would say try to improve your weaknesses and do things that you don't like because it will make you a stronger, more determined, focused individual. But ultimately, if you're really good at something and you like it, then then do it. And you'll never do a day's work in your life again if you're doing something that you uh, want to do. I can see you're not working. Exactly. Which, which is a great, do you know exactly. what I mean? But in, in the most yeah. <laughs> um, respectful way possible. Yeah. And that's that's lovely to see. Yeah. And it's, it's a lovely message to hear that you understand what makes you happy. Because yeah. I know, you know, it can sound selfish. And be but proud is, of that. Is, isn't that yeah. why we all around? Like we're here yeah. to add value, contribute to the yeah. you know, the bigger system. But ultimately, within the time we're here, mm. hopefully not be a depressed fuck for the whole time you're here, right? Yeah, big, what ifs and regrets. Yeah. Like, get after life I and know. enjoy it. But it's hard yeah. because happiness is fleeting, yeah. right? And I can imagine when you've been on, you you're, know, doing a gyrocopter, for always going to be a bit up and down. You're not always going to be elated. Mm. Quite correct, right? yeah. So you've got to find a way to string yeah. together enough happy moments that mm. together you're content throughout the, yeah. the, you know, the whole piece. But accepting that you're not always going to be happy is almost part of that liberating feeling of actually life isn't supposed to be a bed of roses all the time, you know? I'll tell you what, discipline will equal happiness. Um, Okay. And what I mean by that is, and I still get caught out by, I get sucker punched myself. You've had a, a not such a good day, your diet's been a bit crap, you've eaten a load of food that you shouldn't really have, you've you've slept in, you haven't got up at six o'clock and gone to the gym, you're massively on the back foot that day. 
And that takes quite a strong individual to overcome that and do the things mm -hmm. that you want to do. And one of the things that I've found, and this was rowing the Atlantic that taught me it, routine is your best friend. When you have routine and you can just do something, you don't give your brain a chance to think because you're doing. Totally. And what I mean by that is your alarm goes off at whatever time you choose to get up, boom, you're on it. The worst thing you can do is just lie there pondering, going, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll get up another 10 minutes. And I, I, this is just personal. But all of my really good days have been when I've been up and on it straight away. And before 10 o'clock, I've ticked off a whole load of things. And generally, even if I get some bad news that day or something doesn't work out, I couldn't give them monkeys because that day I've already done this, 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 and I've had a really good start. Mm. But that all stems from having discipline to do that. And all the days, and I've noticed this over time, all the days that I've been a bit down and a bit fed up, because I'm telling you, every single person on this planet will have days when they're low and feeling a bit depressed and fed up and a bit sorry for themselves. That's how the brain works. You can't avoid that. So never try to be happy all the time. Um, and just accept that you're always going to be, there's a little bit of up and down, but it's, you know, all the days that I've have had that have not been so good have been my own fault because I haven't had the discipline and I've let my brain wander because I've got off to a, a slow start that day. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And then it just spirals sort of almost out of control. And I've learned that over time. A, r a ritual is important, right? I, I, yeah. I follow a morning ritual. In part, it's, it gives me that certainty. It's predictability that, yeah. you know, if I do these things, that I will get the same kind of, I'll get into the same emotional space nine times out of ten, which is an important part of being productive. Yeah. And I know if I have a ritual, I'm going to at least mm. ensure I get certain things done. And yeah. then off of that, then comes the variety. The variety, that you know, that excitement yeah. of every, every day is a little bit different, even if you have a scheduled routine. Yeah. But you're allowing the routine to kind of structure yourself so at least you end the day being... You know you're going to have a level of satisfaction, yeah. irrespective, and then a kind of newness jumps on top of that. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about risk taking, so or risk management. So everything you've done, right? Let's let's not talk about. Let's talk about. I don't know, climbing Everest because that, whilst it's an expedition and there's you know some guardrails around it, and you're doing it with other people, so perhaps a little safer. You know, I don't know. Define safe. Um, it's still risky. You know, you talk about you know. Uh, what are they crevices or whatever they're called, the yeah, gaps crevasses, in the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you talk about some really scary stuff in the book. Um, I'd be shitting myself, I'm sure, most of the time. Yeah. When you look at one of these activities you're going to get into, and the probability of injury or death or something that's just really nasty is quite high. How do you come to peace with that risk? Because most people would say the risk is too high. It sounds like fun, and I'm sure the you know the end feeling is going to be worth it. Yeah. But with a 70, 80 percent chance, I'm going to do something pretty fatal. No, unless I'm 100 percent yeah. on it, and I get a bit of, bit of luck, I'm not willing to take that risk. How have you well, got such there, a high risk tolerance? Uh, believe it or not, the stuff I do is not as risky as you might think. Okay. Um, if if 80% of people were to die who attempted Everest, I'd never go out there. Those okay. odds are not good. Um, try not to think about it too much. And there are things that you can do to, to de-risk things. Like, for instance, walking across the 
the ladders to get across the crevasses, you are actually harnessed on. I mean, I wouldn't want to find out if the <laughs> if the rope really is, and it all works. And these crevices, these are like oh, you can't see the bottom. You, you, they go feet. dark, so you can't see the bottom. So you can't see the bottom. It's and, just and, a, and, a gap in the ice. Yeah, there's gaps right. in the ice. Some of the gaps are ten feet. Some of them are thirty to forty Bloody feet. Hell. So they're big. And you're climbing over a, a, a ladder, basically. Yeah, and it's, it's like a, a ladder that's been tied together, so it's like it's three enough. or four ladders. But then it bends in the middle <laughs> and buckles and twists. But it's like, well, okay, I wouldn't probably go across that without a harness on. So straight away, you're de-risking it there. To an extent. You know you've got the best climbers and Sherpas in the world around you. And it's like, well, all these people are going across it. And when I was crossing these ladders and it was quite risky, firstly, don't look down. That's not a good idea. (laughs) But just, you know, look where you want to go and just put one foot in front of the other. And again, it's like one foot, one foot. Now, I actually got stuck on one of the ladders, my crampons, which is the the spikes that slick on that are on the bottom of your boots that, that grip in the snow and the ice. Well, they can get stuck and wedged in between the, the slats. But the this is a really good point, actually. The ladders taught me something, and that is when you are out of your comfort zone and you're a bit anxious, you're a bit scared, and perhaps even a bit angry with someone, if you can develop the ability to stay calm, that ability will take you a very, very long way. It, it, it really will do. So I'd stay just staying calm because panic will kill you. Mm. Really, uh, gravity will also kill you. <laughs> but but it, the likelihood is you've fallen off because you've probably panicked. It's really um, easy to say that though. Like it's really easy for me to agree mm. um, academically with what you're saying. Yeah. But I think we can and all we can all start to have those <laughs> thought experiments of saying, yeah, I understand you should be calm. But in that situation where yeah. my foot's stuck in a ladder, you know, 20 feet into a 40 foot, you know, um, <laughs> gap, I'm probably going to be shitting myself a little yeah. bit, right? And yeah. you just imagine you're, you're going to do but that. But here's one thing that I want to say. Um, in my experience, and I've been in some very, int- I've been rescued, um, I've had to been, I've climbed up the side of a ship in storm force seas, I've crossed these ladders up on Everest. When you're there in the moment, it's all like happening in slow motion. You are so focused mm. that you're not in scared. In flight state almost, right? Uh, yeah. And afterwards, you think, oh my God, I nearly died. And then afterwards, be, when you yeah. reflect on it, that's when most people panic and think, oh, no, I can't do that again. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. At the time, <clears throat> you're in this sort of state where you're, it's a really, uh, you're hot. It's a high alert, you're very focused. And it's like when I had the the big motorcycle accident, it was all happening in slow motion. It's because your senses are massively heightened. So I can't say any of the situations that I've been in have been scary at the time. Right. But the second I finished and got off that ladder or got onto the top of that boat when I was rescued, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I nearly died. That was crazy. Um, So at the time, it's not too bad. Um, but there's lots of things to de-risk things. But the crazy thing is, right, I kid you not, walking down the street in London next to the road, there's more chance of a, a bus hitting you than you've you've got dying out in, in the Atlantic. Now, a lot of people say, no, I disagree with that. But as long as you do things the right way yeah. and safely... To, now, here's a thing... If you dropped me in the middle of the ocean with, with zero training and, and But you would thinking, never do that. Yeah, but if that happened, yeah. right? If you literally said, yeah. right, you don't have a clue what you're doing. Yeah. You don't know what's in, in yeah. the cabin. Yeah. You don't know how to survive. You don't know how to fix yeah. the machines if they break. 
I think the risk is going to yeah. be a lot higher. But you prepped and you you understood what you needed Preparation to do. Preparation is everything. Right. If you put me in the same position, I wouldn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd shit myself. Yeah. But I prepped for it. I, I learned how everything works on the boat. I spent a lot of time. It's very difficult to practice to row across the Atlantic. Yes, you can get fit in a gym, but throw that out the window because that doesn't really help you once you get out there. You're rowing very gently. So fitness doesn't come into rowing the Atlantic, which a lot of people think, well, I, that's I, 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 that's a surprise. Mm. It's all about being prepped and, and, and knowing the boat because like, my water maker broke when I was in the middle of the Atlantic. The AA or the RAC, they ain't coming out to help you. You've got to do it yourself. We'll be there in 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're on the sat phone talking through with an engineer how to fix it all. And a water maker um, removes the selenate or it removes the salt. Correct. From the water seat Without that, you're stuffed because right. you can't take enough fresh water with you. Got it. You have to turn salt water into drinking water. So the best prep you can do, and I, I know this is such a cheesy thing, but people who don't prepare, well, you, you, you're going to fail. Mm. And you can't blame anyone else because you haven't bothered to do it. And it's like, you know, when you really go, like here is a great example. You and I haven't seen each other for years, right? We're sat two feet away from me. What do I see in front of you? You have made the effort to make notes. You've got a nice bit of paper here, a couple of bits with all these notes. So you've made the effort to mm. prep. So straight away, you've done the right thing, but people don't bother. They yeah. won't. Most people don't bother to prep or anything. Then they complain when it doesn't go their way and they say, well, I didn't have a lucky break. And it's like, well, when you drill in, when you drill in to the people who so-called get the lucky breaks and, and are ready to do things and do quite well, and you look at the people that, that, that don't, the difference is they, the people who have done um, well have prepped. They've done twice as much work as the person who says he's not so lucky. And it's like, well, come on. Do you, do you know what I mean? I, com so completely. And it's, so it's, it's all about prepping and making that effort. I, I, I love this conversation, James, because I, I feel that whilst a lot of what you do feels completely inaccessible to most people, I'm not saying mm. that it isn't, mm. it, it, that it isn't accessible, but for the most part, people just go, this is a lovely story. Yeah, like, that's fine. my day job. Yeah. But what I love about this is that everything you've said so far it resonates because it I can I can see how either I leverage the same attitude or I need to leverage the same mm. attitude in everything that I'm doing. Yeah. Everything, whether it's the relationship with my wife, the yeah. relationship with my kids, or doing my business stuff, or or in the gym, it's like it, it's all so relevant. Yeah. It's all the so more relevant. Effort it's the you put in, the more you're gonna get out. It's as simple as that. I went through a phase a few years ago feeling a bit sorry for myself, wasn't quite getting the sponsorship deals and things that I wanted, and it was no one else's fault. It was my fault because I wasn't working hard Straight enough. It, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I can't, st I, I mean, I, I keep myself to myself, so I'd never project my opinion onto someone else. But I hear so many people um, just coming up with excuses why they can't do this, why they can't do that. It's someone else's fault, didn't do this, and it's like, Man, you're so wrong, but that's down to you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about. Talk to me about meaning of life. I know that's really lofty, but <laughs> you've had a lot of time to think, a mm. lot of time to think, and I'd like I'd like to assume that with that space and time, you must have had some great moments of quote-unquote mindfulness, right? Mm. And people seek out meditation, mm. it must be coming naturally to you when you've got all that time to think without staring at your phone mm. and all the distractions of modern life. Lots of times to think. And have you had any revelations or enlightenment or go, you know what, I got it. 
I understand either for me what life's about, or I, I understand what everyone's trying to pursue. It's just I'm pursuing it through these physical feats. Yeah. Have you have you given it given that anymore? I'm yeah. Um, oh, gee. Uh, for me, kind of goes back a little bit to what I was saying earlier. I'm lucky I found out what makes me tick. So finding out what makes you tick and what makes you happy is very, very important. And But some of the things that I've realized over time is, 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 is actually realizing the value of time. You see, I, again, I, I've said this before, but I've spent a lot of time around very successful, wealthy people in my quest for funding. Do you know something? They value time far more so than the average person. And what I mean by that is don't wish time away. And, and when you've been in a very extreme situation, like trying to row a boat across the Atlantic or fly a particular type of aircraft around the world, you're constantly kind of, you can be wishing the time away. When's this gonna be done already? Yeah, yeah. Um, when's it gonna be done? exactly? Mm. And then when it's done, you think, oh, actually, I wish I was doing it again. Mm. Or I wish I was back out there. And I think one of the things that I've learned is to try and never wait for another day to do something, always do it. And as long as you do in your mind what you think is the right thing to be doing in terms of the way you treat other people, and also life is, for me, this is my personal opinion, life is about what you do for other people. It's not about what you have. Mm -hmm. It's not about what you can gloat about that you, you've been able to do. It's, okay, what, you've done all this good stuff and, and you have all this money or whatever. What do you do for other people? To me, that's really... It's, a, it's about a value, isn't it? Yeah. Because if me, you're living really a selfish important. life, then you have no value to the great system. Absolutely. So what's your contribution to the world? That's well, basically what I'm hearing from yeah, you. What's your my, contribution? My contribution to the world is I hope that I can inspire some people who are stuck there pondering over this or that. And, and certainly with, with young people and kids, you know, they're lying around, they don't really have motivation to do anything the, the people are telling them what to do and i can say well look this is this is how i was when i was young and this is now what i do and um, trust me i'm not an intelligent man i just decided i wanted to do this and figured out how to do it found other people that that, that helped me and i hope that the value that i bring to to people that follow me is you know what this guy has done this this and this and he's telling me what he, there's no secrets here. I, I tell people what I do or what I did. And when kids come to me, and the common one is they come to me and say, how, James, how do I raise sponsorship? I say, okay, do this, this, and this. And I tell them exactly what I did. Most of the time you don't ever hear from them again. Sometimes they come back. So it's just really sharing what I've learned um, with, with, with young people who can, who can perhaps benefit from that. And, tell you one of the things I have learned, which is quite interesting. You need to be able to identify the right people to have around you. You need to be able to identify who the right people are and who the wrong people are. Typically, good kids, teenagers, young adults, typically have the wrong people around them, not in all cases, and they're scared to change. And when I was young, I had uh, a lot of people around me, and, and as, as does everyone in school, you say you want to do something and then that people will laugh at you or make fun of you for trying. And I'll tell you what, this, this is potentially a bit more relevant to people who are in the, in the working world. Maybe it's, this happens in school, there's nothing you can do about it. 
If you tell someone who is your friend you want to do something and they look at you and laugh or they, they try to talk you out of it, I'm not saying get rid of them as a friend. I'd never say that. But choose the people that you hang around with wisely. You want to be around people that add, like encourage you to do stuff. And they say, well, okay, I think that's great that you want to do this. What are you going to do about it? And how are you going to do about it? And when are you going to do it? You want people like that around you. You don't want people that are talking... Uh, here's a really great example. I love my mum very much. Naturally, she's quite negative. And this is that's her personality. Mm. It really is. She doesn't really do much. She's very negative. That's my mum. I love her. She's amazing. But, uh, you know, I, I choose to put myself around other motivated people who are out there doing their thing day in, day out. And have your interest at and heart. Ha- and, yeah, exactly. Versus kind of a little yeah. bit happy that you yeah. failed yeah like, do you know what i mean Let, there's a lot of people around they are they're around are you like be, oh really like you you tell them something good and they don't want to hear it you yeah. tell them something bad and they're yeah. they're willing to talk to you for half yeah. an hour and part of it's like you're because right. i'm trying to help you you're not trying mm. to help me you're just kind of a little bit happy i failed yeah do you know what and I mean? you want to be around someone here's a really good um a tester if you have a friend or you know someone that you can you can share bad news and they're there with you and they kind of okay okay but you can share good news. So you can tell your friend that you've just got this great job, you've just bought this flashy car because you've wanted it for years. And when that person says, really well done, and and taps you on the back, that's a good person. Someone who's like, oh, well, I'd have that if I had this, or you've been lucky. You need to identify who the right people are to have around you. And I, (laughs) I really stress that with kids because I see it in schools all the time. And I speak in schools all the time. And I've spoken in schools all over the world. You'll have a really good kid. But he'll, he'll be polluted by other kids around him. They're not bad kids, but they've got no role models at home. They don't know the right way to behave. Mm. And they, they talk people out. They're bad. You get into a bad group. You're going off doing bad things, shoplifting, doing things you shouldn't be doing. When actually that kid is a very gifted athlete. And if he had the right network of people around him, my God, that boy or girl could be incredible. And, and, and that's some of the things that I've learned over, over time as well, to, 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 be, to have the right people around you. Um, and I can say, never ever go home and say to your best mate, you are no good for me now, I, I, I'm going to get rid of you. <laughs> Just think about who, who you have around. And, and now I've been very lucky. So for my last project, I had a guy helping me. Uh, he, could, he's, he could have been my dad. He was, he, was, he was a lot older than me, very successful guy in his own right. He'd already flown around the world. And he was amazing. He, he helped me a lot and, and he was there all the time. And you do need to have people in your life that are older, wiser, and more. If you are the smartest person in your group of friends, you've got to get some new friends that's as well. Totally I know that's in, in a lot of podcasts, you'll hear that. But I cannot stress how, how accurate that, that term is. You don't want to be the smartest guy out of all mm. your mates because there's. You need to get some new there, ones. There, there, isn't, there isn't the growth You're not potential learn for anything. you. Yeah. Others around you yeah. might benefit, yeah, yeah. but where's, where's the where's benefit yours? for you? So you should always be looking at who you can be around to help you. And not what you can extract out of people and take, 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 take. Because you've got to give, give, give as well. Yeah. Um, but that, 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 that's an interesting one. Um, do, but, you, do you feel, just sorry, just switching gears on you. Do yeah, you feel okay. you've had to sacrifice stuff? 
in 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 the pursuits you've taken. Yes, right? I have. Yeah. What have you sacrificed? What's the a, biggest sacrifice? That's a great question. I'm I'm very rarely asked that. Um, <coughs> in order to do what I've wanted to do, I've lost a couple of really good girlfriends. Recently, I flew around the world. I was seeing her. her name was Laura. She won't be listening to this. She's long moved on, and she was a really nice person, and she had a big heart. She was extremely attractive. She was she was into her training. We had interests that aligned that were very similar. She was supportive, but I was so focused on trying to raise funding and fly around the world. I was obsessed with it that it all went tits up. And actually, it was my fault. I kind of let it go and she let it go. And I realized when I was flying around the world, shit, I made a mistake. She was a good person, actually. And I missed her company. I didn't care what we were doing. We could be sat, we could have been mm. sitting in a prison cell. As long as I was there together, just in her company, I didn't really mind. Um, and so, and actually, I got in contact with her sort of prior to coming back. And, and it, actually, she's getting married. And that's all good. That was meant to be for her. And, and, and there's no bitterness. There's no, so I can't, I can't talk to her anymore because that wouldn't be right. She, she's moved on. But what I realized is, yeah, I have sacrificed a few things. And that's, that's happened twice now, actually, to me. And for a long period of time, when I left my job, I had no money. I was sort of living at home for a while. And for someone who's my age, probably I'm financially probably not really where I'd quite like to be. But then it's like, well, okay, I've done this, this and this. So I'm kind of quite happy with that. Life is like a, a set of scales. You can't have all the good stuff on one end without some of the some of the other some of the bad stuff. Yeah. Life is not perfect, so I've had to I've, I've sacrificed some quite good relationships with with people that I think potentially could have been very good for me. Um, I went for years with earning very little money. And it's only now that I'm older and I've been doing it for quite a long time that things are starting to come good. But again, one of the things that I've learned from that is everyone wants a shortcut in life. There is there's no problem with trying to get to places as quickly as you think you potentially could. But I mean, I don't know if you agree or not, but I, I can tell you what Everest taught me because you have to go up and down it multiple times to get to the top. You, you're, you're, it was very confusing to read until you explained it. it. Yeah, yeah. You're not going straight up. You're not going myself. straight up. Yeah, exactly. Your body is acclimatizing over time. And one of the things that I've realized is there is no shortcut to anything worth having. A shortcut will generally only, in my experience, will generally only lead you to a place of disappointment. It's not possible to have anything amazing, anything great. Come easy. Come easy yeah. and, and find a shortcut. Uh, you know, you can't buy a good physique. Don't matter you, you, how much money you've got. You've got to work for it. Mm. And, and over time, that's become uh, certainly a lot more obvious to me. Yeah. So when it comes to relationships, is that... Does that, is that an element of your life which feels like unaddressed or, or un incomplete? Yeah, because you know, obviously most, most people your yeah. age yeah. would have been settled. Kid. Yeah, I've had kids absolutely. and stuff like that. So does that does that kind of weigh you down a little bit? Does that kind of put you in a dark place <laughs> at times no, because you've really. pursued this so passionately that you've kind of just like a an obsessed footballer or an yeah. obsessed athlete? You know, hmm. you make sacrifices and sometimes you're very difficult to 
yeah. be with yeah, because of your obsession and because of your yeah, you flightiness because you're going all around the place to yeah. pursue your passion. Yeah. That person can't always follow you around. Yeah, I mean, here, here's, here's the, the one thing that I would say is identify who the good people are and stick with them because I've got all these amazing experiences, but a lot of things have been on my own. So it's like, well, great, who have I got to share that with? Mm. You know, so being with other people and realizing who is a good person is quite important. And I bet you there's a lot of male people that guys that are in their mid 20s that have probably got a girlfriend or something and not quite sure whether to bin them off because maybe there's better ones around the corner or stuff i don't know but if someone is good to you never underestimate that uh, is, is really what what i can say yeah because i've been in a few positions where i've let people go and now i'm older and wiser i think shit they were actually really good to me and i kind of messed that up but I guess that's just a part of, of learning and, and growing as an individual, really. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't really think too much about it. No, no I'm, uh, I'm not not trying to yeah. be Debbie Downer. I'm just, I'm just right. wondering where you where you feel that, as you say, you're in the pursuit of one level of success. You have to be unsuccessful somewhere else. That is, and that's basically that's the right way to going, put it. What's yeah. going on here? And yeah. that's, that's great. I mean, I yeah. know I'm. I'm pursuing success in certain areas of my life, and I know mm. as a result, I'm dropping a ball in others. Mm. And hopefully, the pendulum swing, swings it, back once I build up the competency it, or achieve yeah. X, I can move back to the other things that I care about. Yes. And hopefully not just yeah. obsess fully in one direction at the exclusion throughout the rest of my life and things that really matter, because I'm yeah. sure I'd be regretful in the long yeah. run. Okay, listen, man, I think we should kind of almost draw this to a close. I've got a couple of more kind of quick fire ones. Come just on, to kind come of, on. Like, hit me kind with of... some questions more. So, um, nutrition. Yeah, nutrition when you're traveling. I mean, I'm I'm a bit obsessed with nutrition and yeah. looking after myself and thriving yeah. and wellness. And um, can't help but read some of the things you were eating and going, okay, that's like Total ration crap. packs yeah. and you know Total Mars crap. bars yeah. and you know Lucasades. Yeah. Is it that, that I guess that's a necessity, right? You know, it's all about quick energy and yeah. what's available that can last a long time. You're not getting fresh cuts of meat on the ocean, right? No, I guess no. Unless yeah. you, if you're fishing. Yeah, I couldn't catch any fish, yeah. Do, do, you, um, do you feel it has a detriment to health, some of the things that you pursue? Yeah, 100%. You def there's, there's, there's that saying, you are what you eat, and that's 100% correct. And actually, I have recently got back from my flight around the world, and one of the things that I found myself doing, that was actually really difficult. I was mentally stressed all the time <clears throat> and I found myself comfort eating a little bit and that's a recipe for disaster. And where time was so valuable to me, I was trying to squeeze so much in, I was quite often eating just crap. And and and, and I can see why people do this who are tight for time. You're like In the morning you get up, you go straight to the McDonald's drive-thru, grab some crap and off you go and fly. And then when you've landed, you then got a whole number of different jobs to do. You need to find a hotel. I need to process footage from that day to try and get a, a, a YouTube video up. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, eat quickly. Eat, just let's just get it out of the way. Quickly eat. Yeah. So there's a McDonald's there. Grab a burger. Yeah. That'll do. Bosh. But over time, I felt like crap. I put weight on. I became lethargic. It was it was horrible. So I really tried to make an effort. And but can you, though? <laughs> so if you're rowing or the Everest yeah. thing, like... I'm guessing you just eat what you can get. It's for the, for the most part, it's for like ration packs, right? Yeah, it's stuff that's long lasting mm -hmm. and probably not particularly great. Well, when you're truly hungry, it tastes good. Okay, I found out what <laughs> what um, you'll never ever hear me use the word starving because I ran out of food when I was um, 230 miles from Antigua, 
and I, I went for a couple of days without food, and and it was it was really horrible. Um, whilst rowing, right? So yeah, yeah. Whilst trying to row, yeah. so you, but, and you can't, but you can't. Your body will just shut down. Right. And in the end, I managed to get some food from a passing yacht. Um, but but yeah, I never used the word starving because it's, it's you know it's, what you know what like. starving's like. <laughs> uh, I was lucky; I managed to get food. But I try to eat clean. Can um, you though when you're doing these things? No, nah, not so much. You can't. No. You eating shit. Yeah. But you just have to know that. So I've come back recently from my from my project. I'm like 10 kilos heavier than I usually am. And it's horrible. Now, uh, one thing I will say, no one forced that crap food down my neck. And when I was feeling a bit struggling and maybe a bit sorry You could have made better choices. I could have made better right. choices. I absolutely could have. But I'll take ownership of that and accept that it was my fault. No one forced me to go to McDonald's because it was quicker. Mm. I made that choice. So I have to own that. Um, but no, I, I, nutrition is, is everything. I, 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 I can't stand eating crap food. And you see all these kids eating crap. It's so not good. I, and as I say, you wouldn't put diesel in a Ferrari, would you? Not that I'm a Ferrari. I'm far from a Ferrari. But it's that, it's that analogy, yeah. you know. You, are, you absolutely are what you eat. So it's, it's, a, it's a known sacrifice. You go yeah. into these things, and right? well, I'm having to, mm. you know, I'm going to be away from civilization for a good period of time. Yeah. The food I can have is long-lasting, you know, tins and packets and yeah. stuff. And, hey, they're not good. It's not the world's best nutrition, but it's nutrition. But it's going to be over soon, yeah. and, and you'll you soon be able to get back and return yeah. to... So one of the things I would say is to anyone who's, who's a little bit up and down their diet, I mean, crikey, don't beat yourself up. There is always a new day. Yes. And, and actually, it does get easier and easier. Once you've got... Like, now I've been back for five weeks, and I'm now back into a rhythm. I trained this morning before I saw you. I've eaten very cleanly since I've got back. I've had no crap. All of a sudden, I, I feel so much better. Mm. And it won't be long before I'm almost back to where I was before I left. Um, it's episodic for you versus yeah. a lifestyle thing, which which completely yeah. makes sense. Yeah, but... What about it, your, bad, your, your, your... What are your worst, my, habits? Uh, uh, worst habits? Sometimes I'm a bit lazy, and I think, I think too much as well. Okay. Classic, and it happens to everyone. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll think about this, I'll think about that, and you've got to try and... Yeah. So when you say you think, you you ruminate or you think too much, would you say like <clears throat> something's on your mind and you yeah, overthink it? Like, yeah, yeah. I listened to a fantastic um, video about something a long time ago. So overeating is a very big problem. Drinking alcohol to in excess is a very big problem. But people don't realise overthinking is just as bad because it, your mind just spirals off on a roller coaster of different emotions, and before you know it, you're doing this, you're doing this, you've talked yourself out. So I, I, I think too much. Um, What's your antidote to that? Do you meditate? <clears throat> no, I don't, and I, I probably should actually. A lot of very successful people meditate. I don't, and I maybe that would be when you're like doing may, these things. Maybe by that's something that I should look at. Yeah. Um, or maybe you just I need try. to get on your 100-mile bike rides. And, that's what, and that's, that that's is your my meditation. meditation. Yeah. It absolutely is yeah. my meditation. It's what makes me happy. Um, I'm sometimes, I'm, I'm a faffer. I faff about a little bit too much. And sometimes I really struggle to concentrate. So, for example, I have a whole load of things written down on my to-do list. And once I've been sat at the laptop for two hours, I'm looking for excuses to go to the toilet, to make a cup of tea. Oh, just ring this person. 
I actually struggle to 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 really stay focused, stay for, a focused for a long period of time. I really do. I don't think we can really do an hour of really good quality work. Yeah, and then keep doing it hour and hour. You need to take mm. breaks. Yeah, like um, so. You probably it's probably not that much of a yeah a maybe negative. Not. It's probably quite normal. Though. Yeah, you know, I've got to write the next book, uh, and I start it's in hard, December. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I, I and and the last one that I wrote, I was very up and down. One day I was super creative, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm brilliant at this." Then the next day I couldn't even string a sentence together. Yeah. I was very up and down. So I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to try and be disciplined and focused to write the next book. And I'll do it because I want to do it. I need to do it. It's my job. It's my life. I'm lucky to be in a position to be able to write about these things. But um, yeah, I'm, okay. I need to focus a little bit more on certain things um do you want to know something really interesting i'm a bit i'm a bit of of a weakling on this front i hate confrontation i avoid confrontation at all costs sometimes in life you have to have a stick up for yourself Mm -hmm. a little bit um so i I generally do whatever i can to avoid Confrontation. confrontation and I get. I think maybe that's a good thing. Does but, that but, express itself in you not giving tough love when it's needed? Like yeah, if, if telling someone the truth about them. Would you rather not? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I would. I, I I care a lot about people's feelings, and um, yeah, maybe when you should be saying the way you're behaving is wrong, you need to to do this, this, and this. Maybe I should say that, but sometimes I don't because I don't want to hurt those per- that person's feelings. And and also, I know that that person is particularly argumentative, and yeah. you can't you can't reason with a drunk. And it's sometimes it's the same with with people. And I see this a lot of people that want help and stuff to to improve. And then you realise I'm not really sure you can be helped until you help yourself mm. and accept that you have some bad traits. So, yeah, maybe I should be a bit more um, willing to say things that might upset people, but I know... As long as you're coming from a good place. Yeah, yeah, as long as you're coming from... your intention. people know that when when you're asking that question, you're not trying to make them cry, you're trying to to reach revelation by asking questions they really need to be asking for themselves. I mean, just a small anecdote between me and my wife, and she's known as, you know, she knows me as the guy who gives tough love. And it's, and I know at times I can piss a lot of people off. Mm. You know, I was having, a, I was having a, a lunch only a couple of days ago and someone came up with a good idea that they felt was a good idea. And I felt it wasn't a good idea for them. And I wanted to tell them why. Not, not say yeah. it wasn't, you know, not convince them otherwise. Just go, have you thought about this? Have you yeah. thought about these risks? And are they, can you manage those? Mm. Are you the right person for the job? Yeah. And other people, my wife was like, just move on. Like, they, he doesn't yeah. want to hear it. I'm like, I don't care if he wants to hear it or not. I at least want to give him some, yeah. some reflection. If he does it or not, it's his call. But yeah. I care for him enough mm. to not, to let it just slide. Yeah. But, Do you think so- quite a lot about risk? Because you've asked me on a number of occasions about risk. So I'm sensing that maybe for you, risk is a big thing. Is that right or am I wrong? I think I'm a, I'm a big risk taker. Like my yeah. wife would say, she's she's all about certainty. And me yeah, I'll quitting, get used to uncertainty. Yeah. I quitting, quitting my job and, yeah. you know, quitting a very well-paid, you know, yeah. um, sales job. Um, it wasn't easy for me, but I, I knew that I was following something purposeful and that, Had was, that was enough. Yeah. But for Michelle, she continues to struggle with the risk I take every day yeah. by not having a steady job. Yeah. Um, so I, in some cases, I, I take... I think I take a lot of risk, 
but it's risk that I believe in. Yes, yeah. Whereas when I hear something where I go, like, someone's coming up with this harebrained idea because yeah. they want to get rich quick as well. But that doesn't like, exist. It's not that, yeah. You're not the right person for that. And I yeah. think that's too high risk because you don't have either the credentials, the experience, the brevity, the mental toughness, yeah. or <laughs> the whereabouts to get after something that's going to kind of mm. throw you a few sucker punches. Yeah. So I care about risk. But at the same time, I, I take risk. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a weird thing, but risk that I believe in. Yeah. And it's a bit like you. Like you, yeah. you're taking risk, but you believe, believe that you can, it, yeah. you can yeah. deal with the risk and yeah. you can manage it. Yeah. Last question then. What is the weirdest thing about James Ketchell? <sighs> That's a good question. Uh, what is the weirdest thing about me? <clears throat> I've never been asked that. Um, Maybe something that most people don't know and go, oh, that's a bit. Uh, I can tell you something really stupid if you want. Like, I like eating cake mixture, which is a bit odd, isn't it? It's is a bit odd. Uh, Still. Yeah, raw uh, cake mixture. Yeah, I like okay. that. that's a bit odd. Um, <laughs> what else is weird about me? Um, I mean, just the p things you do are quite weird in its own right. <clears throat> I don't know. What, it, uh, what is weird and what is not weird? You define. Exa ex exactly. <laughs> I don't, the world is changing so much that there's no such thing as weird anymore. You know, I might do something you think is weird and then you'll type it, that into YouTube and find that loads of other people are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. I probably do weird things, but I don't really think about it. <laughs> I knew it was going to. Sh people struggle with this because people don't often think about whether they're weird or not. But maybe I am weird. Maybe you're yeah. right. I mean, definitely are. I, I can, maybe I, a little bit. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Basically, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Listen, I, I want to give you the the mic for uh, the last last kind of couple of minutes. Is there anything that you wish we would have spoken about, but we haven't? No. Um, I think really, if anyone is listening to this and is thinking I want to do this or I want to do that. The biggest thing that I can say is just stop thinking and give it a go. The hardest thing that I ever had to overcome was just taking the first step and 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 committing to doing it. And once I made that commitment to row across the Atlantic, I know this sounds daft, it got easier and easier. Physically, it was quite difficult. Well, mentally and stuff, but it's just stop making excuses because just, I, I, I kid you, I mean, listen, you and I were talking to one another on the telephone in a real world. That was 10 years mm -hmm. ago. Time will not wait for you. And I would just say, even if you, you're much better off having a go at something and something failing than you are wondering what could have been. Oh, could I have done that? Could I have done that? So 10 years down the line, 20 years, 30 down the line, you're talking to your kids and you've got... Re regret is the worst thing you can ever experience. So if there is anyone listening to this, just have a go at whatever it is that you want to do and figure it out. You'll always get there. If you don't, it's because you don't want it enough. And, and that's tough love. Yeah. Um, well, I was speaking to my father-in-law only this weekend and I asked him that same question you know he's 60 odd and I said to him yeah if you if you could speak to your younger self or if you could replay not saying you're regretful but what would you do differently because I was trying to understand if he was regretful for some of the decisions he made or the lack of decision yeah. and it was the lack of decision it was the lack of action yeah. in areas where you know what I should have taken that risk yeah. I should have I should have jumped into that thing yeah. when it was in front of me but instead I wanted safety and security yeah. well, which is now that. you know what I'm I'm okay I'm happy mm. I could have been I could have got the things that 
now seem impossible. I could have got them if I got after them 20 yeah, years ago. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. It's fantastic <laughs> no worries. Advice. And, and I think more importantly, everything you've said, I'll, I'll say this again, everything that you've said, I think it's got massive applicability. If you speak to a Richard Branson or, you know, an Alan Sugar or any other, you know, entrepreneur that's gone after things, it's all about committing to action. Yeah. Putting one step ahead of one foot in ahead of the other. And yeah, things just kind of the doors open. They will if do. you just keep at yeah. it and you care about what you do and your purpose yeah. and your actions. Yeah. Everything shit, will come shit together. coming together. It does. It does. Yeah. But there's one caveat. There's Gary V, right? You know Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, I've heard of him. And you hear about others like that, and yeah. they they obsess about giving the kind of millennial message or the Gen Z message this idea that you just got to quit your job and go after it. No better time to be an entrepreneur than now. And I get it. But the, there's, there, there is a risk, and I use the word risk again, there's a risk of getting after something because you want money, wealth, fame, um, easier life, mm. but you're not fueled by passion, you're not fueled by purpose. Yep. If you you need just, that if, before the rest. Exactly. If you do what you've just said, which is just get after stuff because you want to do it, mm. if you want to do it but there's no purpose behind it, then there's a good chance you're going to fail because you need the purpose to drive you through all the darkness. That yeah. comes when you. If you're doing you something it. just for money, you have made the wrong decision to a certain extent. Well, look, if you, if you, an opportunity comes up to do something and you're going to earn money, then then do it. But I tell you what, I know many people, and just like yourself, Steve, and you're now doing something else. You're probably earning more money doing what you were doing before, but now I've you're doing more. something that you have a lot more purpose, a lot more passion, and a sense of accomplishment. And and yeah, um, you see. All of the money and all of the fame and what, not that I have a whole load of money and not that I'm famous, but all that stuff will come when you find something you're passionate about and you go after it with and 100% you and you add yeah. some value and you treat other people in a way that you'd like to be treated. Also, as you're going up, so you're becoming more successful, you need to lift people up around you. So give, give other people a lucky break, you know. My circumstances have changed a little bit over the last few years, so I try to do my best to bring other people up, younger, typically younger. And, and that seems to repay you, right? I know it's about, it, not, it about self, yeah. not about selfishness, <clears throat> but when you support other people in your, in your yeah. pursuit, you find that it creates more opportunity for you, right? Absolutely. I'll tell you one thing. If you cannot give, you will never do well. And what I mean by that is learn to give, and then, boy, you will start receiving. If that Great. makes any sense. It, it does, man. Listen, thank you so much for today, James. It's been oh, a pleasure. Thank you, so thank much. you for hosting me at this uh, lovely, it's a great quirky place, building. Lodge in Bains, though. It's good, isn't it? It's beautiful, man. <laughs> um, where can people find you, James? <clears throat> uh, website, www.jamesketchell.net. I have a YouTube channel. Just type James Ketchell in. Instagram, at Ketchell James. I think I'm on Twitter, at Captain Ketch. Yep, I am. Um, that's it, really. And the book. Oh, yes, the book. The book is on the website, The Ultimate Triathlon. And watch this cool. space because there's a new one coming next year. <clears throat> and actually, I started a speaking tour throughout the whole of the UK starting this coming uh, Saturday. Uh, November the 2nd is when I start. And I'm all over the UK. <clears throat> so that's on your website. It's yeah. where you're speaking. <clears throat> yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for today, James. Oh, wise. Thanks for having me, mate. Take care. See you later. Wow. What an episode. What an episode. It was jam-packed full of goodness. And I hope that there's a lot of takeaways here for you. Now, please remember that the 
Be Your Best self-optimization program is imminently available. And you can go check that out by going to adaptnation.io and on the homepage, there will be a notify button. Press that and you will get notified as soon as it drops. And you're going to want to see this. This is a game changing product. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best. If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.